Welcome to Creative Rising, my friend, a show about what it's really like to run a photography business. I am Erin Youngren, and on today's episode, I have a really wonderful guest for you. I am interviewing Natalie Frank, who is the co-founder of the Rising Tide Society, and she's the head of community at HoneyBook. Now, if you've never heard of the Rising Tide Society before, they are a really wonderful organization. You're going to hear all about it in today's interview. But basically, they host these meetups for creatives all across the country and all around the world called Tuesdays Together. And we actually host the local San Diego Central chapter here in our studio every single month on the second Tuesday of the month. And these meetups are for all creatives. So if you're interested in joining your local chapter, then you're going to hear how to do that during this interview. You're not going to want to miss it. But honestly, the real reason that I asked Natalie to come here on the podcast and to share her heart with you guys is because she is a person who has been through a lot of difficult things recently in her life. She had a benign brain tumor that she had removed in a brain surgery a couple of years ago, and she has also gone through a journey of infertility to have their little baby boy named Huey, who is currently 10 months old. So she has experienced a lot of transformation in her life. So when she shares her heart, She shares it coming from a place of true authenticity. And I really wanted you guys to hear her story and hear the lessons that she's learned as a creative entrepreneur, as a business owner that has gone through difficult things and has been transformed by them. Because as you know, we do not shy away from the hard stuff here at Creative Rising because we know that it is those difficult journeys that transform us and make us into better business owners, into better people, and ultimately help us achieve our purpose. I cannot wait for you to hear this interview with Natalie. So let's jump right to it. Can you briefly tell me your story about becoming a photographer and then the journey of starting the Rising Tide Society? I first picked up a camera in high school. And I fell in love with it. Prior to that, I had been shampooing hair at a hair salon. And why I mention that is because it was the first time I think in my life that I experienced creativity in a business setting, seeing hairstylists build their own client bases, welcome people through the doors and cultivate this incredible space of just peace and serenity. If even for one hour for their clients, they were in charge of that experience. And I witnessed this from my little shampoo bowl in the corner for a number of years. And so about my senior year is when I first picked up that camera. And for me, it became my version of the hair salon. I realized I could take this device and I could document people's lives at the time, primarily senior portraits, because I was a senior in high school. So my clients were literally my friends. And From there, you know, I continued following, I think, the path that I thought I was supposed to follow. I went to college, continued photographing weddings on the weekend while I was in school. I would take the train, I remember, back from Philadelphia down to Baltimore on Fridays, photograph weddings on Saturdays, sometimes on Fridays, but mainly on Saturdays, and would take the train back either Sunday night or Monday morning before my 9 a.m. And I did this sophomore, junior, senior year at Penn. And then when I graduated, I made the decision to pursue the business in even more of a full-time capacity. At that point, I had been doing about 20 weddings, 25 weddings a year, which, you know, I I feel weird saying uh, 
I went full-time when I graduated. Because really, let's be honest, I was full-time, especially those last years of college. But I set aside my studies and I stepped into entrepreneurship. And as an Enneagram 3, I graduated and I worked my butt off to check every box that I could to be a successful photographer. I did everything possible to build a successful business, and I did. I scaled to six figures very, very quickly and then beyond um, even that entry point and, and built a really strong business. I did 39 weddings, and this is the year I will never forget, 39 weddings this one season. And it was the end of October, and I was up late editing, like, I always did at this point in the year. You're nodding, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a common feeling. And uh, I had been at my desk for probably about nine to ten hours. And the sun had actually set outside. And so my entire office was pitch black. And the only light was coming from my computer monitor. And I just remember this feeling come barreling up through me into the front of my mind. And the minute that it did, I wanted to rip it back. I didn't want to feel this way, but there it was. The thought was very, very simple. I'm tired of feeling so alone. I had been sitting there and grinding and hustling and trying to build this thing, check all the boxes, be successful. And yet I was sitting there alone for who knows how many nights in a row in front of that computer. And there that thought was, I'm tired of feeling so alone. And I realized that if I didn't change something, if I didn't make an effort to change the way that I was living my life day in and day out behind that computer, waking up, working, editing, alone, 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 then it was going to kill me. And I went to my husband and crying, I was honest with him. I was like, look, I am on the outside. It looks like I have everything together on the inside. I'm falling apart. And that was really a, a tipping point moment. It was kind of a, a catalyst for everything else that came next. I think that that night doesn't often get written into my story, but for me, it is a very vivid starting point of Rising Tide. And how long had you been um, in like shooting weddings? So you've been started as a senior and see so all through college and you've gotten married at this point. So yes. how long had you been... Would you say that you had been in business okay. when that moment happened? All right, let's do some quick math. Probably about, I think we're about six and a half years in. This is the fall of 2014. Okay. So as the busy season winded down, we move into the spring of 2015. And we get together with friends of ours, Davy and Krista Jones, for dinner. And this conversation kind of comes back into the forefront. We started to talk about how lonely entrepreneurship is. And together we realized that maybe there's something we can do about it. So we decided to get creatives together for coffee in our hometown of Annapolis, Maryland. It was never meant to become anything bigger than that. We just wanted to really improve the way that we were going about our days as business owners and create this spirit of community over competition. But what happened next is when I look back, kind of this catalyst for something larger, we started getting together and we just started sharing about it, the heart behind it, why it mattered to us, what our hope was for Annapolis and for the creative economy in Annapolis. And all of these people that we had met at conferences, at workshops, over the internet, on Instagram, all started to raise their hands and reach out and say, wait, I want what you have in Annapolis. What is that? 
How do I have it in Monterey, California? How do I get that in Atlanta, Georgia? How do I find that type of community in Fort Lauderdale? And so we decided to turn our little meetup into a blog, into a website, and we named it the Rising Tide Society. The idea behind that was the famous quote, a rising tide lifts all boats, and our heart being that if we could empower an economy of creatives and we can raise the tide for everybody, we can provide resources, education, but most importantly in our heart, support, so that no one else had to feel like they were going at it alone. And within a matter of weeks, we saw it go from one meetup to nine to 12. A couple months after that, we're talking 100, 200 meetups, and now Almost five years in, we're looking at a group of over 400 meetups happening around the world every month, each chapter led by an incredible volunteer who raises their hand to make a change in their community. And we work every month to provide resources, to create great education, and all of it, which I didn't even mention, is free. And that's kind of the heart, too. You know, we wanted to create something with a low barrier to entry just to give people an outlet and a place to come if they can't afford to do other things, if they can't go to conferences or they, you know, between uh, nap time, they've got an hour and a half, they can make a meetup. Like, we wanted it to be accessible. And so it's continued to be for the last five years. And all of that really kind of emerged from, uh, you know, about six or seven months in meeting this amazing company called HoneyBook. And having a company like HoneyBook in San Francisco raise their hand to say, we want to be behind this. We want to ensure that you have the resources that you need, that you're able to build this community because we believe that when creatives are able to pursue their passion and able to rise together, that's going to enable the future of work. That's going to enable a company like HoneyBook to succeed. And so they have put their full heart and soul behind helping us to scale and support and sustain um, this movement now turned community. And they've been a part of our journey ever since. What was your motivation to take the Rising Tide Society and make it for all creatives mm-hmm. versus just for photographers? Because that's the world that you were in. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time, like the photography world was pretty siloed. Like we didn't really interact with other creatives unless they were wedding professionals. But even then, community amongst wedding professionals was more of a business transaction versus like a community. Let's build our businesses together. What was your motivation behind that? I believe that strength comes with diversity. And I, as a photographer, knew how to run a photography business. When I would sit with other business owners, their outlooks on everything from sales to marketing to client retention were different. Their experiences were different. They had come through different journeys to become an entrepreneur. And so I knew around the season we were starting Rising Tide that there was so much value in different opinions. There was so much value in different perspectives. And frankly, as well, you know, photography groups existed and they were being run very well. There were amazing groups everywhere. I couldn't find any groups where photographers could intersect with these other types of creatives. And so we really talked about creating a space where all of these different inputs and ideas and experiences could join together to create, again, the rising tide, this idea that we could join forces and share that knowledge with one another and not remain siloed, not just have photographers in one corner, designers in another corner, writers over there, digital entrepreneurs, like bringing us together so that our collective experience could really create something better than just the sum of its parts. And I now looking back realize that's one of the best decisions that we made because when you start to get these different creatives in one room, it's just magic happens. 
You have people raising their hand to support each other in different ways. Oh, you need help with digital marketing? That's actually what I do. If you could help me with my headshots, I will help you with this next launch. Oh, you know, creating those little, little opportunities for people to unite and to collaborate within the space for each other, kind of like modern you know, bartering, I guess, or or even like a guild, kind of a new version of a guild where we just stand together. We stand together and we support each other and we really try to make sure that every creative has what they need to succeed. Are you someone, I mean, you're a very driven person. You're very ambitious. You've done a lot of things in a short amount of time and um, things like even launching your photography business and doing it throughout college. Like mm-hmm. most people don't do those sorts of things. And then launching the Rising Tide Society and seeing it grow so much. Usually what's associated with ambition and with drive is competition, right? You think about it and there's like this doggy dog mentality. You're going to get your own and you're going to succeed. And so how do you see those two things? You see, you know, your big thing is community over competition. How do you see that value intersecting with also the value of drive and ambition and, you know, succeeding at what you're doing? Community over competition doesn't mean that we don't believe in competition or that I'm not competitive. As you kind of have alluded to, I am incredibly competitive. But what it means is it's competition rightly ordered. It's the thought that we can compete and we should. So much beauty comes out of innovation, a drive to succeed, to think about something greater, to see somebody else shattering a glass ceiling and realizing you can walk through it too. That all comes from that competition rising. But the reality is it's competition below the idea that we put people first, that we look out for one another, that we love others. That is really the important component. So what we believe is that there is a space where we can operate businesses and strive to succeed, but not to do it at the detriment of others, not to tear other people down in order to climb, right? To reach our hand back and to lift somebody else up when we do succeed. And when it comes to the personal side of it, I am very competitive, but my mom really instilled something in me at a young age. You know, she used to say to me, be your best. She never told me to be the best. And I think the differentiation there is that when we're taught to be the best, it means that somehow we're against other people. And it pits us kind of face to face in a fight where we have to win out over somebody else. When the truth is, I really believe each of us are created uniquely. And it's not about beating other people. It's about being better than the person we were yesterday. Being our best means improving upon the person that sits in this chair right now. When I walk out of here, trying to learn, trying to keep my ears open and listen, always striving, giving myself grace when I fail, because that's all part of a process of becoming a better me versus focusing my attention on how to tear others down or beat other people. And I do believe when we focus on being our best and we focus on how we can leverage that better version of ourselves to serve rather than to compete. That's where we also start to see growth that isn't in this finite mindset of, I have to win this client. I have to book that opportunity. That's very short-sighted. When we set ourselves up from a place of, I want to improve myself, myself to be the best at what I can do and to offer the best service to the people that I can serve, we're playing a longer game. We're playing a game that is almost in many ways infinite and understanding that winning isn't the same, I think, as thriving. And even in a, in a broader sense, you know, uh, Simon Sinek has a book that just came out about this idea of the infinite game. And he really frames it in the perspective of, look, everyone's out there playing this finite game. I'm going to win at business. I'm going to win at this. I'm going to win, win, win. And the reality is, as he says, you can't win at business. 
you're either still in business or you're not, but you can't really win. There's not a gold medal for business. Same as with life. When you play the finite game, you miss the the larger, broader picture that this is an infinite process. You're not really competing against someone else's product launch or one client. That's very, very short-sighted. The infinite game is a much larger concept. Improving, striving to be the best you can, listening to the pain points, evolving, innovating. It's a journey. It's not a finish line. And I think that that mindset uh, is something that we've really tried to instill within the community that we're not there to fight against each other. There is an opportunity for all of us to succeed. The market is changing every single day. So if we can help one another to get access to the resources that we need and we can support each other when it gets hard, we all can run in our own unique lanes towards our definition of success. So when someone gets sucked into comparison Mm -hmm. and just feeling like, oh my gosh, I see what this, this amazing thing that this other person is doing. And it makes them feel less than, or it mm-hmm. makes them feel like they are not enough. Yes. What would you say to that person that's in that moment? Because that feels like a like playing the finite game, mm-hmm. right? How? What would you suggest they do to get out of that mindset and step into the mindset of the infinite game? Absolutely. Flip the script. Don't view others as your competition. View them as partners in a larger project. The way that I recommend doing it is becoming their cheerleader. It is very hard to feel competitive against another individual that you want to succeed because you switch your mindset from being when they win, I fail to when they win, I win. The minute you do that, you have this opportunity to rally behind them, support them, fan the flames of their success. And in many ways, that type of energy also fuels you to move forward. When we operate from a mindset of scarcity, a mindset of fear, a mindset of insecurity, You're focusing on all the wrong things and missing the chance to serve, to look outward in support of others, to look outward in support of your clients, building and innovating, improving your product. I think that mindset is one of the containers that confines us unless we're willing to break those scripts in our minds, unless we're willing to shake things up, to stop looking at each other as the competitor, as someone to compare ourselves against or that benchmark for success and instead rally behind them, cheer for them, kind of want them to succeed and truly, even if you don't feel it. Say it, speak it until you do feel it, move through those motions. And then what that does is it frees your heart and your mind up to really focus on what matters, to get back to that place of abundance and feeling that there really is enough to go around. I've never made a good business decision when I'm operating out of fear, when I am comparing myself to others, or I'm reacting. My best business moves, and I do believe for all of us, our best moves in life come when we are being proactive, when we are being giving, when we are in a spirit of service, and being strategic, playing that long game. When we start operating in those short moves of, oh, she did this, I have to do that too. Oh, she is winning here. That means I'm weak here. I've got to to change something. I've got to double down on that weakness. All of those decisions aren't going to lead you towards success. They're going to get you caught up in a day-to-day game that that other person doesn't even know they're playing. Focus on how to serve, support, and cheer for them and get back to doing what's going to grow your business and what's going to ultimately lead you towards your unique definition of success. journey of self-discovery and transformation because you've had some things happen in your life that have kind of forced you into that. So you had a benign brain tumor a little over two years ago, correct? Yes. How did that 
experience transform you because you had brain surgery to remove the tumor and you're healthy now, correct? Yes. What areas of your life do you feel like were most transformed because of that experience? I think every aspect of my life was transformed through that experience. I went from worrying about a lot of things that didn't matter in retrospect to understanding just how precious our time really is. And in recognizing that, also seeing the idea of legacy really transform. I thought more about what does this world look like when I'm not a part of it? And how do my actions today contribute to what I leave behind? And at the time, you know, we had been going through our own infertility journey. When people talked about legacy, they often referred to children, having children, growing a family. And because of my benign brain tumor, we didn't know what that would look like for us. And it made me feel a little bit sad because I thought that perhaps if I didn't have that definition of legacy, then what, what was my definition? And so going through that brain surgery experience for me was very transformational from a standpoint of recognizing that the legacy I leave behind, it isn't money in my case, it's impact. It's what can I do to serve other people? How can I help them? How can I create a space where two business owners who were going at it alone now have one another? And also understanding that I didn't need credit for many aspects of my own legacy. That it wasn't about my name being remembered, but it was about doing the work that's going to change the future for the next group that comes up. And understanding that 100 years from now, it's very likely that no one will remember my name. But the work that I'm doing every single day should lead into leaving this world just a little bit better so that even though they're not sure how this happened or why this is different, they won't have to walk through the same struggles that I did. And I think that that brain surgery for me was just very clarifying. And I think that clarity brings empowerment. When you know why things matter or why it matters to you, you're willing to do the work to make it happen, to take the steps that you need in order to to make changes. Well, do you think the clarity comes from the 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 thought the it it becomes more real than ever that the future may not happen. Yeah. Like the future is not it may not exist. And so is that where the clarity comes from where you realize like I really can create the future that I want? Was that part of it for you or was it different than that? I think it was a couple things. So I think I think it's two things. Clarity for me came from one realizing that tomorrow is not promised and having taken that for granted for the majority of my life. When you are able-bodied in your mid-20s, you don't often think about uh, the end. And so in many respects for me, it was transformational from that simple perspective. Tomorrow is not promised. What does that mean? And that affected my business, my faith. I mean, everything. It really made me dig deep into asking and answering questions that otherwise in my mid-20s being able-bodied and not exposed to that type of thought process, I never would have. And then on the flip side, it also created a little bit of a challenge within me. I stopped playing not to lose and I started playing to win. I started really embracing the fact that, you know, no risk, no magic. If you're not willing to take a step forward and move on the things that you say you believe in, then nothing else is going to come from them. You have to take action. 
And before, I had been very fearful in some ways of taking action, even sharing my own story. You know, I was diagnosed well before Rising Tide was ever created, and it wasn't until I needed surgery that I took the step of being transparent about what I was walking through. And so I think that it both clarified for me what time we really have and how it's not as vast as we imagine it to be, also that it is not certain, but also that if I really wanted to make an impact, I couldn't wait. And I had to stop hiding. I had to stop being fearful and not putting myself out there. I had to start playing to win. And even though that could mean I fail miserably, understanding that because the time is not certain and because it is not promised, I have a very simple choice. All of us do. We can choose not to take action and potentially regret that for the time that we do have. Or we can take action and either fail or succeed, know that we move forward on something that we're passionate about. Can you tell me a story that of something in your life that happened after the surgery where you can you distinctly remember, okay, I'm going to choose to play to win in this situation. Can you tell me a story about when that happened for you? There are so many stories. Everything, I mean, if you even look at my team and you ask my team, okay, Natalie, after surgery versus before. Very, very different. Before surgery, very fearful of decisions. Oh gosh, what will this, I'm in Enneagram 3. What will this look like? How will this impact? Very fearful to damage image. Natalie, after surgery, Image means far less than impact. If I can make a difference or I can make a move that's going to change something, even if it fails and even if there's judgment, I'm okay with that. Knowing very clearly that I am willing, willing to have people not like me and still stand for what I believe in shifted right after surgery. Very, very much so. And you can see that reflected in a lot of different things that we've done. One thing in particular, though, I have said for the majority of my adult life that I've wanted to write a book. I have talked about it constantly between mentors, masterminds. One day I'm going to write a book. One day I'm going to write a book. And there was so much fear that came with that. What if nobody will take it on as a publisher? What if the words don't come? What if I commit to doing this and I fail? No one buys the book. What if, what if, what if? And finally, I think after surgery, I just started to question all of those one days and just ask, why not now? Why not? And so a big transformation happened, I think, when I decided to double down and just start writing. And I did. And that beginning of starting writing then emerged into getting an agent. Then it emerged into a 50-page proposal. Now I'm looking at writing my first book. And I think that a lot of that is due to the experience and the journey that I've walked through over the last two and a half years and acknowledging that, you know what, I do have something to say. And the fact that my words could make an impact means that I need to move forward. Sometimes I feel as though we focus so much on how things will impact us and we look at it through this negative lens, this, this lens of fear, rather than looking, about, looking at what our actions could do for others. And the fact that when we choose not to move forward with the project, when we choose not to take the risk, it doesn't just impact us. Choosing not to move forward denies the world of an opportunity to be impacted by what you have to offer. Choosing not to move forward potentially changes the trajectory of someone else's life who was waiting for what you had to say, who was waiting for what you were going to create, who was waiting for the company you were going to start that was going to hire them. All of these lanes 
collide at one point or another. And when we choose not to move forward, we're potentially impacting somebody else for the negative. And I think for my book, that was something that really pushed me, the realization that if I allowed fear to stop me from writing the words that had been on my heart for a long time, then this message was going to start and stop with me here now, instead of potentially just impacting one other person. And the opportunity to impact that one other person is enough. It's enough to move forward. And I think that applies to a lot of us in different stages of innovation or starting a business or adding a podcast. I mean, you name it, whatever the idea or the vision is, we're often halted by fear instead of being driven by impact. You mentioned that you also were going through a journey of infertility, and you now have a miracle baby boy, Huey, who is about to turn one, yes. so congratulations. Um, th- between that journey and the surgery and all of that, I am sure that that has deeply impacted you as a mother as well. Mm-hmm. What, In what ways do you view motherhood differently now than you think you would have if you hadn't had experienced all of those things? Anything you fight for becomes even more precious in your mind. Um, for good and bad. It's a double-edged sword. I think that a lot of the anxiety I've experienced postpartum comes from the fear of losing the thing that I have fought and prayed and longed for for so long. I also think, though, there have been a couple uh, points in, in this infertility journey that have really challenged my own views of community over competition. For example, when there's something you want more than anything in the entire world and it's being denied to you but yet feels like it's being given so prolifically to everyone else, It can really challenge that mindset of, can I really cheer for my friends who are getting pregnant left and right without even trying or perhaps even wanting the pregnancy? Here I am giving myself injections day over day, waiting for this miracle potentially to happen. And it really, really challenged me. And, you know, I've talked about this not very often, but but on occasion where there was one day in particular, you know, we had been going through this process um, sort of without action for a number of years, waiting for the brain tumor to be sort of dealt with first before we would be treated by um, a reproductive endocrinologist. We have the brain surgery. Six months after I get sign off from my neuro team, you can proceed to um, fertility treatment. So I start the process. I do, as a community builder would do, I get in all of these fertility groups. I join them all. And I begin to engage with these other women walking through similar seasons and similar journeys. And after several months of trying a couple different things, we got, we figured out what worked and we were going through sort of our our last season and I found out, and I'll never forget, (laughs) in the the HoneyBook office at work, um, you know, I found out I was pregnant and obviously I told my husband first, but then I couldn't wait to share with these women that I had been walking through this journey with. And I post in that group and I'm like, guys, look. And I post the screenshot or the little picture of the pregnancy test. And, you know, I'm like, I think that's a line. I think that's a second line. And seeing all of these women, many of whom were still waiting for their miracle, many of whom were still being denied the yes they had been waiting for, many who had gone through far harder journeys than I had, stand up and cheer for me was a very clarifying moment that we must fight for one another. We cannot tear one another down even in those moments of hardship. I witnessed selflessness like I had never experienced because I knew the pain they were feeling. 
I had walked through that pain myself. And yet to see the fact that they were there cheering for me, rallying for me in my moment of celebration was very, very clarifying. I had seen what community over competition can do in business. And this was the first time I really believed that I felt it at such a deep emotional level in my personal life and realized, wow, this meant so much to me. But more importantly, how can I ensure that moving forward, I really apply this on the personal side, that I become the biggest cheerleader for others in my life, even when I am fighting my own battle, even when I feel like I'm being denied the very thing they are being given, and understanding that we can and we are stronger together. I feel as though the fertility journey was very, very enlightening. Um, it's not something I would wish on anyone, anyone. Um, but to be on this side of it, you know, I, I'm so grateful for the women that really encouraged me and rallied behind me. And now I still am in those groups, even though I'm on the other side and I, I work hard to try to be that vision of hope for people to understand that, um, you know, if I can lend an ear and listen, if I can provide advice through my experience, if I can even just be an example of this medication helped this person and she has a baby and to give that little bit of reassurance, because I know many times along my own journey, I wanted to give up. And sometimes it was just that voice or that vision of what could be that kept me pushing forward, even when things didn't go our way, or even when it looked like it wasn't going to work out. So there's a, some interesting things in there. There's the when you're being denied your yes, being selflessly celebrating for other people, which is one of the hardest things to do, but it is one of the most sacrificial things you can do and most loving things you can do, even as difficult as, as it is. But then also there's the celebration of when you do get the yes, which can also be hard. Yeah. Um when you know that there's other people out there that didn't get it. And so that celebrating is also important. Mm -hmm. But then after this, the yes and the celebration coming back and giving back to the community, I think that that's a really, um, really powerful picture of what it means to be in community and remembering all those different layers of it. Thank you for sharing that. I think that that's really beautiful. leader in the creative community and having gone through everything that you've gone through and having experienced this transformation, when you see other creatives, what do you think are the biggest struggles that you see? And what is it that you most want to, like when you're talking to someone, I most want to give you this gift as you're going through this journey. What would you, what is that thing that you most want to gift them with? That is such a good question. I think one of the biggest struggles that I see is that creatives very often don't feel seen or heard or valued or supported. This can come from other creatives. What we haven't even touched on is that it often comes from people in their their lives, family members that don't understand why they're doing this. Fear even of pursuing this path that other people criticize and the impact that could have on their children. A lot of insecurity, a lot of uncertainty. And so the gift I like to give is the understanding that they matter. 
their ideas matter, and the world needs their creativity. The world needs them to show up, despite the fear, despite what is unknown. And if they don't have the support at home, or they haven't felt it in the past, to create a space where they can come through the doors as they are and know they are welcome, know they belong, and know that they matter, and they really matter, and be surrounded by other people that have either gone through it or are going through it or can just stand and come alongside them in their journeys so that even where they don't feel supported outside those walls, I create a space where they do. I can step in and, and cultivate that environment where when they come through the doors, they are no longer alone. That it's not just a phrase that they hear, but they know it, they see it, it is tangible, and it means something. What kind of leadership do you think the creative industry most needs right now? Leading from behind. I think we've gotten a little confused about the difference between leadership and celebrity. Right now, they're kind of being used as the same thing. And the truth is that a celebrity directs all the attention to themselves. And it's about highlighting the self over sort of the, the ones they serve, whereas a leader is about moving us in a direction. And oftentimes, leadership does not happen in the spotlight. Leadership happens when no one is watching. Leadership happens one-on-one. Leadership happens in the quiet corner where someone just needs support and leaders show up. But we get confused because we look to people who have large platforms, large followings, lots of likes and follows, and we say, oh, they're a leader in the industry. Some of the strongest leaders that I have seen in the creative space oftentimes are not famous. Oftentimes they are known by the people whose lives have been transformed because of their choice to show up and their decision to serve. And I think the creative industry needs more leaders like that. Leaders who are leading from behind, who are getting in the mud and the muck and truly digging deep and planting roots to serve people rather than just trying to serve themselves. And I think that it's something I'm really grateful to be able to see day in and day out. A great example of this are our Tuesdays Together leaders. They do everything that they do as volunteers. They give of their time. They give of their of their money, of everything in their business to cultivate these spaces, what we've talked about, where people can get together. They're not doing it for fame or notoriety. They aren't getting a big fat paycheck at the end of the day. They are standing up and stepping up and trying to change the landscape of their local communities because it means something to them. I think the creative industry needs more people to raise their hand, even those who maybe have never felt that title of leader before, to step forward and even to step up and to serve in new ways and to serve in new capacities, not to focus on being known but instead to focus on making an impact. If you could go back to Natalie that was sitting there in that moment in that October, not knowing what was ahead of you at the time, if you could go back to her and you could sit down with her over a cup of coffee and you could say, hey, this is what I want to tell you Mm -hmm. to prepare you for who you're going to become, the amazing person that you're going to become, what would you want to tell her in that moment? Mm. There's a lot that I would tell myself. There were so many things I was struggling with in that season as I witnessed, you know, at that point, I'm a full-time photographer. You fast forward a couple months, I start to see a potential different avenue to build a community. And there was a lot of fear there. I would go back and I, I would tell myself, first and foremost, we must love the people that we serve more than the craft that we do. And in that same vein, that your work is not your identity not to 
take on photographer as the only part of you that you think other people will love or resonate with. I was so afraid to set down the title because I really thought, well, who am I? If not a photographer, I've done this for seven years at that point, then what do I have to offer? And I I see that so often, not just in my story, but in the stories of so many people I, I speak with, you know, in these meetups and at these gatherings as we cling to those job titles as if they are our identity and they're not. And the minute we have to let go of that, there is so much fear that kind of takes takes over. So I would go back and I would say those things. I would say focus on loving the people that you serve, knowing that your identity is not in being a photographer. My identity is so much more than that. And also, I think understanding that the camera is just a tool that enables me to live out my calling, but that my calling transcends that. And all of ours does. The tools that we use enable us to make the connections, enable us to do the work that matters. But our why, as Simon Sinek talks about, so many others, is so much deeper. It's the foundation from which we do work. And I think just reminding myself that if I set down the camera, there's still more to my story. That if this road that I thought my entire life I would take doesn't turn turn out the way I thought, doesn't work out the way I envisioned, doesn't mean there's not something better waiting for me on the other side. I would also, I think, tell myself to have faith, Just remind myself to have faith, not to try to control everything myself, but to let things unfold. And in doing that, understanding that there are better things ahead. I just have to be willing to have faith that they will reveal themselves and they will come to fruition. So you're in the process of writing a book, which is exciting. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? Is that something that you can share with everybody? Just kind of what's next for, for Natalie? Yes. So the book project that for many, many years I said I wanted to pursue is, is actively happening. And the book is very simply this idea manifested into to written word. It's this idea that we can rise together in a world that is pulling us apart, that we can challenge these societal conversations that pit us against one another and really carve out a different trajectory for our lives. And the book is, is my heart on the page. And, uh, I'm really excited to be able to continue working on it and to hopefully have it come out in the next couple of months to years. Yeah. That's so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, We're cheering you on. We'll be your cheerleaders in the process. And tell us a little bit about the Tuesday Together meetups, because someone might be listening to this for the first time and being like, wait a minute, there's a place where I can come together with other creatives. So tell us a little bit about those um, and how to get involved in one. Yes. So Tuesdays Together is for the most part happen on the second Tuesday of every month. And we have over 400 cities now, primarily U.S. and Canada, but around the world. We've got a great chapter in Japan um, and others in Spain and Germany and the U.K. And so these meetups happen in coffee shops and venues and photography studios, just like here. With yep, the young we grids. do host the San Diego one here, one of the San Diego meetups here. So, and we love it. It's That's, really wonderful. It's amazing. And they all take place with different topics. So month to month, we rotate different types of business topics that are relevant, that provide value. And these groups gather and they both discuss the topic of the month, but also create space for people to share experience, to share what they're going through, learnings that they've had. And Truly, if you'd like to get involved, it's as simple as going to honeybook.com slash rising tide. You can see our map where all of our chapters are meeting. 
You can find your local leader, your local chapter, raise your hand and get involved. The gatherings are completely free. All that we ask is that you bring your heart and you bring your experience, your willingness to share and to receive. And we would love to have you. You're welcome to join us, any type of creative business owner. And that is a very broad definition. Feel free to join and and be a part of what we're building. So make sure to look up your local chapter. If you're not joining one now, then it's a wonderful place to get in community with other creatives and really build those relationships and not feel so alone in this journey of entrepreneurship. So right now, I'm so excited because you're in our podcast studio here at Skylight and podcast studio slash my lovely little cozy office. I love it. Um, and you're actually the first guest besides my husband to be sitting in the podcast studio. I and feel so, so honored. I you, feel so honored. It's just like, I am so excited to have somebody else in here. This is, I mean, when you're talking about dreams, you know, come true, this is it. Um, and it's because you're on a road trip right now. Tell us a little bit about that because you you sold your home and you're on the road with your son and your husband. So talk to me a little bit about that journey. Yes. So along the same vein of our time is precious and if there are things we want to chase after, we need to do it. A road trip has been that thing that for a long time I've said one day, one day we'll go city to city and connect with these creatives in person. We'll shine a light on all the amazing work that they're doing and all of these amazing meetups and Finally, my husband said, you know, you keep saying someday. And I'm like, all right, all right, hon, I know. What if we did it today? And there is no perfect time to do just about anything. But uh, to go cross country with a 10-month-old, now 11-month-old, there's a lot of fear involved in that. I was like, oh, gosh, how am I going to do all of this? And uh, we just decided to do it. So we sold our house, uh, sold my car, downsized significantly. We planned an entire route from our home in Annapolis, Maryland, down the east coast of the United States, all the way to Florida, all the way around Florida, all the way across the west, to the west, up the west coast. And so we did it and we've been doing it. So we have 14 meetups in total that are part of this road trip and they take place in a variety of different cities where we have our local Tuesdays Together chapters. And we're kind of hosting these sort of mega style meetups. So we're getting multiple groups in one space and bringing in often guest speakers or panelists, bringing together local professionals to create something just really extraordinary for the community. And it has been the greatest greatest time and a challenge too with little Huey in tow for sure. But I'm I'm really grateful that we'll be able to look back on these memories and, and just show to him, you know what, when you have a dream, don't just talk about it. See if you can make it happen. Take the steps to bring it into reality and, and to do it. And it has been amazing. It's been really, really fun to do and just to travel and also, you know, the food the food. We haven't even talked about the food. <laughs> we'll work for snacks and tacos, San Diego yes. and tacos, burritos. Um, no, I'm teasing, but it's been awesome too, just to to bring Huey along in this season and expose him to the work that I do and why it matters and kind of bring my worlds together in a way. And it's been, I mean, the road trip seems like it's been such a success. You're at the end of the road trip now. So by the time people are listening to this, you won't be able to see Natalie on the road on one of those road trips. But the best part is that those Tuesday Together meetups are going strong and they are full of amazing creatives for you to get in touch with. And we're going to be hearing more from Natalie, hopefully in this upcoming book. So there's lots more goodness for you. Tell us a little bit about where they can hear more from you and hear more of your heart if they are loving what they're hearing right now. 
Absolutely. So I'd say, you know, on the community side, please always feel free to get involved um, with HoneyBook with Rising Tide. You can find us online everywhere. If you want to connect with me personally, I invite you to. I would love to get to know you one-on-one. You can always find me on Instagram at Natalie Frank or at my website, nataliefrank.com. I would love the chance to, to connect and support you on your journey. Thank you so much for for being here and for, you know, for joining me here in the podcast room. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us here today on Creative Rising. I hope that you loved what Natalie had to share. Again, if you want to get involved in a local face-to-face community where you can meet other creative entrepreneurs, then get involved in your local Tuesdays Together chapter. If you want to find the one that's closest to you, then go to honeybook.com forward slash rising tide. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And that's where you can get involved and meet other creative entrepreneurs. You guys know we are all about in-person community here at Creative Rising. Not only do we have our Creative Rising gatherings for photographers here at our studio in San Diego, but we also host the local Tuesdays Together, the San Diego Central chapter here in our studio as well. And we absolutely love having so many creatives here in our studio. So check out that link and find one near you. We are rounding out season three with the final episodes and I have absolutely loved this season. And we are ending the season with a topic that I know a lot of you need a lot of help with. I'm going to be talking about how to create an asset management system so that you can back up your images in a really simple and secure way. If you've ever struggled with figuring out how to back up your images, then you'll want to listen to this episode because I'm going to tell you how you should do it and how we do it here as well. I will see you next time right here on Creative Rising.